Hello, and welcome to Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from a church past. I'm your host, Laura. Join me today as we explore a piece of Kansas City's history. So, um, real quick, do y'all remember this spring when I mentioned the League of Historic Theaters National Conference was coming to Kansas City in July? They came in mid-July, uh, like the the day after that really big storm that hit us, um, July 15th-ish. And I totally forgot about this and didn't remember until uh, August 2nd. I checked and I had just missed it, so... That's disappointing. I wish I'd been able to join them in some way because they visited um, various historic theaters in the KC metro area, including the Performing Arts Center in downtown Leavenworth, my hometown. And it's a really pretty building. I've always loved the architecture of that theater. It's Art Deco. Also, um, this particular episode is out a little bit later than I originally planned. I apologize for that. Life things have been messy and stressful and just getting in the way of my podcasting and enjoying the last of my summer. Um, also, there will not be a minisode of the Ethnic Festival this year, as I did not go. Uh, it was way too hot to be out there, honestly. So everyone who did go out, kudos to you. Um, but even if that had not been the case, as I said, life things have been disruptive. However, I did get to go see the Chiefs practice. Um, Images from that adventure are up on all of my social media pages. Check them out. If you're interested in learning about Chiefs football history, listen to my episode Chiefs from Series 1. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get started. This is Part 3 of Topic 3, Worlds of Fun, from Series 7, Amusement Parks. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please also listen to parts 1 and 2 of this topic, as well as topics 1 and 2 of the series, Electric Park and Fairyland Park. Quick recap. So part 1 was an introduction of Lamar Hunt and his business partner Jack Stedman, who were responsible for the creation of the park in the 1970s. Um, Also talked about the architects and the firms behind the design and initial construction of the park. Park, sorry. Part two was literally a play-by-play of every year the park has been open. I found a website that detailed this ride opened this year, this ride closed this year, and I mean maybe that wasn't very fun for you because it was kind of a bullet point, but I thought it was really interesting, and it was the basis for part three. This is if I had to pick, <laughs> this is my favorite of this topic. I get, I'm about to get really detailed on some of the ride's histories, and it's pretty cool. So, uh, hope y'all check this out and enjoy it. We're going to start off with an absolute banger. We have the Zambezi Zinger. So, the Zambezi Zinger in operation from 1973 to 1997. Manufacturer, Anton Schwarzkopf, that sounds right, model type, speed racer, track length, three quarters of a mile, or approximately 
390 feet. Maximum speed, 41 miles per hour. Maximum height, 56 feet. Duration, 2 minutes, 30 seconds. Newly remodeled and reopened in 2023. We'll get to that. Quote, Schwarzkopf GmbH started as a company building trailers for Funfair Showmen, but from 1954 onwards, the company started building amusement rides as well. Under the lead of Anton Schwarzkopf, um, sorry, Schwarzkopf, son of the company's founder, the company built its first roller coaster in 1957, the Dusen Spiral. Um, there's an umlaut over the U, so I don't think I pronounced that quite right. In quote. <laughs> Sorry, that's an in quote. Um, Anton's company also designed the Shoe Spoomer. The ride originally featured bobsled-style cars, meaning you can sit one behind the other, um, and that fit three each. The riders were lifted to the top of the first hill along a spiraled track via an electric lift rather than the traditional chain-link lift. Schwarzkopf's company experienced multiple financial hardships throughout the 80s and disbanded in 1995 after Anton retired. According to Jennifer Lovesey Mast, quote, without a parent company, replacement parts for his rides became, quote, too expensive, end quote, for several parks across the country, including Worlds of Fun. However, a few parks hung on to their Schwarzkopf rides, realizing that their value to their guests was far higher than the cost of a ball bearing, or wheel would ever be. Of these, several Six Flags parks still operate Schwarzkopf coasters. Zinger, like most everyone will tell you nowadays, does still operate in Montana Russa and Parque Nacional del Cafe in Montenegro, Colombia. End quote. So the park decided to dispose of the ride in 97, and this was all kept under the rug, very, very hush-hush. The parts were just left sitting in parking lot C, and that's just wild to me. Why are you leaving this expensive equipment out in a public parking lot? Whatever. Until a ride broker picked them up and sold them to a coffee grower in Colombia. And this was kind of interesting. So a a ride broker is apparently a job that you can have, and it's like um, the, the middleman. You know, I buy it from Worlds of Fun, and then I sell it to the coffee grower. Here we go. So Zinger 2.0, the newly renovated and reopened Zambezi Zinger, which had a delayed opening but finally debuted June 19th, 2023, is a wooden sit-down coaster designed by Skyline Design. It is 2,428 feet long, 74 feet tall, max speed of 45 miles per hour, zero inversions. Um, I don't think I've covered this yet. An inversion is a loop. Like, um, like a upside down loop. There we go. Um, lasts two minutes. And the coaster consists of a booster wheel lift hill and a tunnel. According to Google, a booster lift is quieter than a chain link. So there's no click, click, click as you go up the hill, but it is more op- difficult to operate, especially in wet weather. Skyline is a subsidiary of Skyline Attractions. The company is based in Orlando, um, and they opened in 2014. I guess I didn't find much um, on Skyline Attractions. I thought I had more there. The Shoes Boomer, 
1973 to 1984. Manufacturer, Anton Schwarzkopf. Model type, Wildcat. Um, okay, I think this is specifically Wildcat 54M. Not sure what the 54M is. Track length, 1,500 feet. Maximum height of 44 feet. Designed by Ingber... Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm going to butcher that. Um, we're just going to shorten it to Stengel. Based in Eugen. Also feel like I butchered that. Look, it's been a hot minute since I did German. Um, it's in Bavaria, Germany, since 1964. The German engineering office company, quote, was started by... Werner Stengel, simply put, Werner Stengel has been involved with more roller coasters than anyone. Stengel is involved with so many roller coasters because he does not build or sell the roller coasters, but works with most of the manufacturers that do. The type of work provided by Stengel varies from client to client and project to project. These services include design, layout, and calculations for every aspect of the roller coaster, as well as other amusement rides. It is beyond the scope of the database to detail these services on a ride-by-ride -ride basis, end quote. That's from the uh, rollercoasterdatabase.com. Apparently, it was actually by used. It had originally been designed for those pop-up fairs um, that are, you know, in parking lots or out in the middle of a field, and so they're not embedded in the ground. My information there is a bit short. Um, I actually thought I'd be able to find more information on the shoe spoomer since it was their opening day, but I don't have anything. Next, we have Sky High. This ride was in operation from 1973, so also there at opening day, to 1987. Manufacturer, Von Roll, Inc. Model type, Skyride 101. According to Google, a Von Roll is an industrial electrical power company based in Switzerland, dating back to 1803. That didn't sound right, so I added roller coaster company to my search parameters, and then I found them. Um, according to gondolaproject.com, quote, Von Roll Seelbahn was a prolific Swiss builder of ropeway systems in the 20th century while Von Roll itself lives on as a supplier of industrial and electrical components, the ropeway division was acquired by Doppelmayr of, or there might be Doppelmayr, of Austria in 1994. One of the most charming and endearing legacies of Von Roll was their line of skyways, installed in amusement parks throughout North America. They are a bizarre relic of the cable industry's time, catering almost exclusively to the resort and theme park market a time which, thankfully, has passed. As most were installed in the late 50s and 60s, few still exist. While you can't really classify the Von Roll Skyways as cable-propelled transit systems, it's still worth considering both life, the lifespan of the systems, some were in operation for over 35 years, as well as their almost perfect, perfectly horizontal alignments and low profiles." End quote. From worldsoffun.org, quote, At its peak, there were over 100 installations of the 101 Skyride. Today, there are less than a dozen operating, end quote. Also from worldsoffun.org, 
quote, sky-high transported guests from the Americana section of the park by way of a semi-enclosed cable car that seated four. The cable that supported each car was supported by one of the park's four towers, with the tallest being 75 feet. The driveway was located on the Scandinavia section of the park, with its station structure still being located in the park. Today, Sky High Station is a picnic facility known as Travali East. The counterweight of the ride was located in the Americana section of the park. Today, the Americana Station is the Red Games Barn next to Mustang Runner. End quote. So, in 1977, a man named Arthur Duchek actually walked along the Sky High cable line like a tightrope performer in a circus on a very blustery Midwest day featuring 25 mile an hour winds. Super surprised he didn't fall. <laughs> but the next year, a cable car from a similar arrival at Six Flags Mid America, which is now known as Six Flags St. Louis, fell 70 feet, resulting in the deaths of three riders. Thereafter, the Von Roll roller coasters across the country were shut down. So, two unrelated events. 1977, man walks across in 25 mile hour winds, perfectly fine. 1978, similar ride from a different park, fails. And then parks across America are like, oh, we should get rid of that. Moving on. Scream Roller, aka EXT. From 1976 to 1988, manufacturer, Aero Development, Aero Hughes, model type, corkscrew, track length, 1,250 feet, maximum speed, 50 miles per hour, maximum height, 70 feet, duration, 1 minute, 10 seconds. Two inversions, so you go upside down twice. RCBD.com reports that Aero Hughes which was originally Aero Development, was founded by Carl Bacon and Ed Morgan in 1945 in Mountain View, California. Disney purchased one-third of their company in 1960. In 1972, Rio Grande Industries bought the other two-thirds of the company, but they left the name unchanged. In 81, Hughes um, Maskenfabrik, um, again German, so, probably not pronouncing that right. Um, actually, wait, anyway, I think it's machine and fabric. Something like that. They bought Arrow and became Arrow Hughes. Then, in 84, it became Aerodynamics until the company disbanded in 2002. Its remains were bought by SNS Power. SNS was the company behind the design of the detonator. During the company's lifetime, it built. Um, and by company, I am specifically referring to Aerodynamics, built 98 roller coasters in 126 locations. In 1983, the park partnered with Aerohues to convert the Scream Roller into the nation's first standing roller coaster named EXT. Quote, it wasn't long until Extreme Roller was experiencing problems, though. The ride itself, and specifically the lift hill, and its chain were never designed for stand-up pods that were both heavier and had a completely different center of gravity causing undue stress on the chain lift. The mechanical difficulties caused by these unforeseen problems necessitated 
the reconversion of Extreme Roller back to a sit-down experience only by early 1984, end quote. I believe I may have mentioned before the urban myth that someone died on this ride. If not, then it's because it was in an earlier edition of the script. Um, spoilers, there's a legend that somebody died on this ride, but it's fake news. Quote, probably one of the most commonly repeated urban legends with Worlds of Fun comes from this very roller coaster. First, the true story. Extreme Roller was reconverted to a sit-down in June 1984 due to stress on the lift chain, as well or as with the significant change in the center of gravity, it applied a significant increase in stress on the ride structure. In July of 1984, a railblazer rider was thrown from the car and died from her injuries. The accident occurred one month after Extreme Roller had been reconverted to a sit-down experience. Railblazer also lacked one of the seatbelts that crossed the body that Extreme Roller had which means this type of accident may not have even been possible on Extreme Roller. The fact is, though, that no life-threatening accident was ever to occur on the short-lived stand-up Extreme Roller, but the pervasive urban legend incorrectly attributes the Six Flag accidents to Worlds of Fun. End quote. And honestly, that seems kind of common that World Six Flags has accidents that get attributed to Worlds of Fun. In 1998, the ride was dismantled, and sold to a park in Taiwan, becoming the Spiral until 2004. Orient Express 1980-2003 Manufacturer, also Aero Development Designed by Ron Toomer Model type, Custom Multi-Looper Track length, 3,470 feet Maximum speed, 65 miles per hour Maximum height twelve stories. Drop of the, or sorry, height of the first drop one hundred and fifteen feet. Height of the first loop eighty feet. Height of the second loop sixty feet. Duration two minutes and thirty seconds. Two vertical loops and one boomerang. Okay, hang on. It says number of inversions four. With two loops and one boomerang. So that's incorrect. That's got to be three inversions. At the time of its debut, it was the largest tubular steel roller coaster in the world. So that's pretty cool. It had a Chinese inspired station with large murals on its interior walls surrounded by gardens and a pond. It was named after the Agatha Christie novel Murder on the Orient Express and was actually sued by the actual Orient Express in France, although the charges were eventually dropped. Quote, it was specifically designed into a natural valley. While it was visible from anywhere in the park, it, unlike the Mamba, almost goaded its victims into believing that it wasn't that bad simply because much of it, like Zinger, was hidden in a valley by a forest of trees, end quote. Well, that's um, a very descriptive and um, slightly concerning quote. <laughs> the Orient Express is infamous in Kansas City for crashing in June 1987 and derailing in July 1999. Quote, with one train sitting in the trim brakes, um, that might be train brakes, Directly outside of the station, the second train 
running about 10 to 15 miles per hour, collided with it. This occurred as the first train stopped in the brakes as usual, but then the brakes would not release and allowed the train to re-enter the station. Nine riders were injured, one was hospitalized. Many point to this moment as the beginning of the downfall over the Orient Express. End quote. And then, 12 years later, we have the second incident. Quote, Orient Express derailed in its final helix, leaving the last two cars dangling from the track. Thirteen were reported as injured, though no one severely. End quote. Uh, I didn't see any details on how the derailment occurred, which I'm actually very interested in. So if you know, hit me up. Next, Timberwolf. 1989 to present. 4,230 feet tall. High speed of 53 miles per hour. Zero inversions. Duration is 2 minutes 13 seconds. G-force of 2.8. So, it's a bit faster than the others. Elements include a chain lift hill and an overbanked curve. It is a wooden sit-down coaster designed by Curtis D. Summers at Den Corporations. Summers was born September 27, 1929 in Abilene, Kansas, and died May 11, 1992 in Montgomery, Ohio. According to findagrave.com, quote, Mr. Summers started in the amusement park business in 1958, repairing and designing rides at Coney Island Amusement Park in Cincinnati. In 1972, he formed Curtis D. Summers, Inc. to specialize in designing wooden coasters. He designed more than 30 coasters at theme parks nationwide. Den Corporation, begun by Charles Den, April 1933 to July 2001, was based in Westchester, Ohio, from 1983 to 1991. According to the National Roller Coaster Museum, Charles also got his start at Coney Island. Except now I'm wondering if they're the same Coney Island because there's also the famous Coney Island in New York. However, since they're both from Ohio, I think it's a good bet. Anyways, quote, they specialized in relocating, designing, and manufacturing wooden roller coasters, end quote. They designed 11 different roller coasters in their eight years of operation. According to 25 Years of Running with the Wolf on worldsoffun.com, the Timberwolf was not the tallest or fastest when it debuted, but it was the longest ride in the park. Jennifer, writer of worldsoffun.com, also reports that many of Den's designs include, um, whether purposeful or not, she doesn't say, a side-to-side sort of shuffle pattern known as Den's Shuffle. So, that explains the jostling that you get when you ride the Timberwolf. Personally, I have only ridden it once on that 8th grade field trip. Um, even as a youngster, that seriously hurt my back, and I had no desire to ever experience that again. The ride closed temporarily in 1994 for some track repairs, and seemed fine and faster than ever when it reopened in 1995. However, on a day in July of 95. A young girl of 14 was thrown from the ride and died. How is still unclear, the mom and some of her friends, who were there at the time, I don't think the mom was there, but the friends were, um, said the seatbelt failed. But park officials said that they found nothing wrong after they investigated this claim. 
Let's talk Mamba. Debuted in 1998 and still in use today. The length is 5,600 feet. Height is 205 feet with a drop of 205 feet. High speed is 75 miles per hour. Zero inversions. Duration is 3 minutes. G-force of 3.5, so it's even faster than Timberwolf. Consists of a 180-foot tall lift chain lift hill and a 580 degree helix cost $10,000 to build. Due to its speed in hill and lack of inversions, the Mamba is classified as a hyper coaster. This ride was crafted by Dana Morgan, son of Aero Development co-founder Ed Morgan. And I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Dana when it's a, a male name. Um, Dana served as president of Arrow in early 1980s before starting his own company, D.H. Morgan Manufacturing. He and Steve Okamoto, who also worked for Arrow at one time, designed the Mamba. According to RCBD, the California-based company remained in operation until Michael Chance purchased it in 2001 and changed the name to Chance Morgan, Inc., and later consolidated it into Chance Riders. The Mamba is currently the tallest and fastest of the park's rides today, if that was not already clear. When it was first built, it was one of the tallest and fastest roller coasters in the world. In case you were wondering, because I was, according to Google, the title of tallest coaster in the world was currently held by Kingda Ka in Six Flags in New Jersey, opened in 2005, it's 456 feet tall, and the title for fastest coaster in the world resides with Formula Rosa at Ferrari World in Dubai, that tracks, um, which is located in the United Arab Emirates, Emirates? Yeah, I said that right. It opened in 2010 and is 149.1 miles per hour. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me as we continue to explore this piece of history behind Kansas City's Worlds of Fun. Please join me next week for part four, which will end this topic and be the final episode of the series. Before we leave, let's talk sources. My primary sources, um, and by that I mean the sources that I use the most, not that they were primary as in first-person sources, were worldsoffun.com, worldsoffun.org, and unwof.blogspot.com. I also used rcbd.com, findagrave.com, themeparkcoastercrazy.com, therollercoastermuseum.org, darkridedatabase.com, and Google. On my website, I will have links to Defunct Land's video of Worlds of Fun that's on YouTube. You can also look that up whenever, you know, before I get that up. Um, and a link to the Worlds of Fun Facebook group page. I hope you will consider becoming a financial supporter of the show. There are several ways you can do so. You can subscribe to patreon.com slash homegrownkc or redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. You can also give a one-time donation at redcircle.com slash homegrownkc or coffee.com slash homegrownkc. That's ko-fi.com. You can give as little or as much as you want, even as little as $1 a month. Once you sign up and create an account, subscribe to the show, you will be charged that day and then on the first of every following month. 
If you become a patron, you will get an item from the merchandise store valued at $5 or less, a shout-out on every episode and social media post. Thank you, Jorn, um, Joan, sorry, for your continued support. You will also get access to exclusive bonus content featuring other local historians, archivists, and museum curators. Everyone who simply donates will receive a shout-out on the next available episode, but you will not receive access to the bonus content unless you are a patron. Additionally, if you give a donation on coffee, 1% automatically goes to help fight climate change. I spoke with Jennifer Lefsey Mass, creator of the website worldsfun.org, back in May, um, and as I said before, I, I've gotten most of the information for all of this topic from that website. That episode is finally available to my patrons. I apologize for taking so long to put that up. Also newly available to my patron supporters is my conversation with Andrew Gustafson from the Johnson County Museum about their current special exhibit focusing on the way railways transformed Johnson County, Kansas in the early 20th century. If you cannot support me monetarily, which I get, especially in this current economy, you can still support me by following and subscribing to my Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Tumblr, and Twitter pages. I also have a YouTube channel. I'm Homegrown KC on all of those. And make sure you rate and review me wherever you listen, but especially on Apple Podcasts. You can visit my website for additional information on every topic. That's homegrownkc.wordpress.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter at my website. That is the only place where you can sign up for the newsletter. Once a month, not every day because that's annoying, once a month, you'll get an email that says, here's what's new, here's what's upcoming. Just It's a good way to stay up to date with the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or episode suggestions, you can email me at homegrownkcpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on any of my social media networks. For merchandise, visit www.zazzle.com slash store slash homegrown underscore Casey underscore store to see what is available. Thank you goes out to my talented sister-in-law, Sarah McCombs, for the creation of my logo. To the Dear Misses for the use of their song Kansas City as the intro and outro music of every episode. And to local libraries, which enabled me to gather all my research. And thank you for listening. Cheers. seem to shake this feeling and I can seem to get you off my mind